0: Water's fine, homie, jump into the deep end, so it you will reap it. We're talking how to start it, how to grow it, how to keep it. Take a deep breath. You are now rocking with Founder Secrets.
1: All right, Stefania, welcome to Founder Secrets.
0: Well, it's so good to be here. Thanks for this opportunity.
1: Uh, no, we're we're thankful. <laughs> Stefania is uh we're originally Romanian. She's now in Beverly Hills. We were just talking about um, the consciousness of, of that area. And she started Blue Heron Foundation, which is an amazing uh, organization we'll talk about today and, uh, and and helps the world in numerous ways. So really excited to have you on.
0: Well, thank you for this opportunity. My foundation and the mission of what we do is is so aligned with my life's path and my heart, really. So I'm very excited to share with, our, with your listeners um, what it took to get here and why this is so meaningful to me. And I know a lot of people these days are looking for, to answer the question, what is my life's path? Or why am I here? Or can my personality be aligned with my soul's um, uh, yearnings and what I feel I want to manifest in this lifetime? So I think I want to say I want... Uh, the examples of someone who has uh, done that path, and of course, it's still unfolding, but that's how I went about it.
1: That's setting high bar uh, from the start for yourself there. So tell us about it. Tell us about, uh, yeah, what, yeah, tell us about that path and, and what Blue Heron is and the meeting. Uh, yeah, anything
0: you can share. Yeah, so uh, I moved to the United States, came here legally with my family during, while well, Romania was still a communist country, so 1983, and we landed in Salt Lake City, Utah with a few hundred dollars and four suitcases. Uh, back then the government would confiscate everything and we had to exchange a little bit of money on the what was called the black market. And that's how we arrived to the United States. Parents didn't really speak English and we, my sister and I, became their translators for everything. And I I was really rattled. I was startled. What I had imagined America to be was not what I found. And we started from zero. Um, It was very humbling. You know, I was, I had all the menial jobs you can imagine, and I worked nonstop since I was 16. But With time, I realized that with education and with ambition, I could manifest something in this country. What I love about America is the notion of meritocracy, which is not something that we had under the communist regime. And also free speech, which I still value greatly and which I did not grow up with. So I felt that as hard as it was, through education and hard work and ambition and a vision, I could accomplish something here, even if we are starting from zero. And so I went to school and um, later on I moved to Los Angeles. My undergraduate was in public health. Um, One of the things I focused on a lot was developing, implementing and evaluating community health programs. And then I did a master's in applied psychology here in Los Angeles. And that also came in very handy uh, for what I would later do. But in my late 20s, I got married, started a family with my husband. And so for a number of years, I was not so focused on a career until about uh, 2000 and Two, when two things happened. One, I was invited to, it was like an informal salon uh, with some ladies here in Los Angeles where I found out about a giving group in the Los Angeles area that really inspired me. So their model was, and I still belong to this organization, it's called the Every Child Foundation. They had 210 women each contributing $5,000. So we were raising a little bit over a million every year. And then they would have grant applicants and we would have a whole screening committee and ultimately take a vote. And we would award the a clean million dollars to the winner. And the mission of this organization is to help um organizations that have a focus on vulnerable children in the los angeles area but i loved how clean it was like no events where money went on flowers and overcooked steaks and um, valets i like that we were able to spend a clean million dollars and make sure that it's directed directly to a cause And I was fascinated and I joined right away. And the other thing that happened the same year is I went to Romania and in my hometown in Brasov in Transylvania, I was called, I was drawn to visit a local orphanage. It was called the Little Prince Orphanage, where they had about 200 toddlers cared for by not very many people who were trying very hard, but it was... um, So difficult to see so many young children and with not enough attention. And I remember just getting down on my knees to play with them. And a whole bunch came to me and called me mama. And, you know, they had me at that. Uh, and I knew in my heart that I was going to do something for them. I had young children at home, too, so I just could not imagine that they didn't even have one parent um, to guide and love them and give them attention every day. And I remember one of the administrators asked me if I had a foundation, and I thought, making note of that word, I wasn't sure what it meant, but I responded very diplomatically, not yet. And I thought, I'm going to go home and research that. So those two things happened, learning about the giving model that was very clean and streamlined and visiting this orphanage in my hometown. So at the end of that year, I got together with a lawyer and... I applied to become a nonprofit and the idea was I'm going to start a giving circle, maybe at $500 a pop minimum. Cause I thought it's a more obscure um, cause for Los Angeles, but I thought I can still find people who are interested uh, to help at the $500 level. And luckily a lot of people join me and a lot gave more than 500 a lot more so that's that's kind of what the how uh, it all came together but ultimately i I would say that it was aligned with me at that time i was passionate about it and i felt that i was in the right uh, place at the right time to to do it to start it to do it i had the right education
1: so that's blue hair and Blue Heron Foundation. Why would you
0: name it Blue Heron, by the way? Yeah, you know, I was thinking of a, of, uh, of a name that had two words. I thought it would be nice to have a noun and then something describing the noun. And I have uh, this book of uh, Native American uh, spirit animals. And I was looking for the book. So I was like, Blue Heron. Okay, what does it stand for? Self-reliance, self-discovery. And I thought, oh, this is very aligned with where i am in my life right now so i named it blue heron and later i discovered it's perfect because we uh, as you will see later uh, we've um, over the years we've worked mainly with vulnerable youth mainly orphaned and abandoned and i feel that the bird the blue heron we have helped them spread their wings and even teach them how to fly so it's um its symbolism is just very meaningful for us. And meanwhile, we were redoing our logo this year. And when I looked up some visuals for the Blue Heron, I found out that there's, a, and they were all established after us, after 2002. There's Blue Heron architecture, Blue Heron capital, and venture and capital, private equity.
1: I actually know the Blue Heron venture capital guys. We oh, pitched right. them uh, for Troy. So uh, I
0: maybe they. <laughs> giving us a little um grant. But a lot but I'm so happy that we have the dot org and the com domain and that um but that's how sort of how it came about.
1: So many questions, I guess. Yeah. I almost feel like the story isn't finished though, I guess. What oh so what happened? I guess did you okay, you had a foundation, you went back and I guess how did you decide to Yeah, it's who to serve, how to raise money for it and pay people and like, yeah.
0: So I decided to have the first salon in Los Angeles. I think we had about 70 people who came um, and I told them about my trip to Romania. I told them about my experience in developing, implementing and evaluating community programs. And I said, look, it's very important to meet people where they are. So I felt that. Where we could start is hiring additional caregivers to hold and um, cuddle babies so that the ratio would be a lot better uh, in that particular orphanage, which had over 200 toddlers. And that was our, our very first project about um, eight or 10 additional caregivers, which made a huge difference if you start doing the math in terms of um, time and attention dedicated to each child. And then later we also built, um, you know, I was always in constant touch with the administration. So we ended up building playgrounds and sports courts at other orphanages uh, because they told us that's where the need was they were receiving, they were starting to receive uh, various donations, but they still felt that um, like the kids didn't have anything but a muddy lot to play on when they would go outside. And after that, since I was going to Romania at least once a year, and I was always inquiring where are the greatest needs, I realized that at the age of 18, the young men and women were pushed out of, of the orphanages and they had no plan of how to become self-sufficient. They had no plan for an education. Uh, there were no programs that we would teach them how to become self-reliant. And I knew how important it was for me to go to college. And I realized that a lot of these young men and women had academic potential in spite of incredible emotional hardship and very often, if not always, trauma. And I thought, I think this is what I want to focus on now, especially because nobody else wanted to do it. So we developed a program scholarship and mentorship program for Romanian. And later on, we also added Moldovan youth So uh, that started in 2005, so it's been 18 years, and we've been doing that uh, nonstop since then. So we've been covering the tuition for the young men and women that we would accept in our program. We would also assign them a mentor. For young men, it was a male. For young women, it was female. They are usually mentors from their profession, and... What was beautiful, the beautiful thing that happened in the pro in the process was that we were also building a community. I realized how much also people who wanted to give wanted to be part of something bigger than themselves. And some wanted to do more than just write a check or, you know, clicking some numbers to make a donation. And Blue Heron has been able to offer them this opportunity where they would be in touch with our students as a mentor and of course we have a whole outline of some do's and don'ts and some of the best ways to reach and communicate with our students but I that was kind of something I didn't expect which is beautiful how much the diaspora Romanian community around the world especially in the U.S. and also in Romania the Romanian community there how much it came together as part of becoming mentors and just having the joy of seeing where the money goes being the witness of a young person who had Um, so much going against them. You know, just very often abandoned at birth or on the steps of a hospital or so many students who have a a blank next to mother, father in the birth certificate. We had a couple who the mother just jumped the window (laughs) at the maternity and left. So they couldn't even have the name of the mother in their birth certificate. So, so many stories. So they became part of our community. We also offer them courses, um, such as IT, English courses, driver's license courses, all these things that I guess a family would do for their children in order to help launch them into the world. So we paid for that. And we also had, uh, we started about 14 years ago, an annual summer camp. And that has been the highlight. For them, for us as a team, a lot of mentors invite themselves. It's a little more complicated to have them be part of a camp, but we've had them visit. But this is an extraordinary time where these young men and women, they don't realize how many other uh, youth like them were out there, so who have gone through similar horrific situations early on in their lives with abuse, abandonment, and to see that they come from all over Romania. And here they are at this camp, and they are in medical school, and they're trying to become engineers and teachers. And they have so much emotional intelligence, and that they haven't given up and become bought into victimhood, um, that, that they are trying, and that the that there's hope. So these these camps have been extraordinary for for everyone, for for the students in our program and for us as a team. And they brought us uh, together. They brought the, I think the mentors together too, just by hearing about these camps. So this is a program that we've been doing for all these years. We are present with the program in over 25 of Romania's 40 regions. And thirteen of Moldova's. I think they have twenty six regions. So we have a pretty wide um, outreach.
2: Well, how, how did you? Because um, you said at the at the beginning, somebody asked you about what your foundation. What, what was the name of your foundation? And you wrote that down. How do you go from? From that, from those kind of early uh, thoughts to now having this tremendous impact years later, what when when, when you came back home after that, how, did, did was was there someone you reached out to, or how, how did you take kind of the first step to get this off the ground and to take take those first kind of baby steps? You
0: know, it's such a good question. All I can say is that I felt that I had a lot of resources, so I thought, okay, I have the education. I know how to develop, implement, and evaluate a program. I had, thankfully, in my case, a husband who was supporting us, and I felt, so I felt I had a financial and also a social platform, so I thought I can reach out to friends and friends of friends, to some groups in the Romanian community, and then... I reached out to a lawyer to help me, you know, with all that. Then I went, I kept asking a lot of questions once we became an uh, an official 501c3. I don't know, it took three or four months. I kept asking a lot of questions of the accountant I wanted to know. And ultimately, I... Uh, I organized an event at our house with about 70 people. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. This is where the money, this is how much the salaries of these uh, people who are going to hold and cuddle babies uh, are going to be. And also, I was in a a very fortunate position and made the decision to cover all expenses. So um, I felt that donors would feel good about investing in something where 100% of their donation went directly to the beneficiaries. And that's kind of how I got it going. And then after that, every year I had to do a salon where I would report what we have accomplished that year, where their money went and what, uh, what our intentions were for the following year. About seven years ago, I started doing the same for our donors in New York. So we have these informal salons, which are not fundraisers. They are two hours. They last two hours. I'm very efficient. I like this whole idea of being streamlined, clean, but very responsible and accountable. So two hours, 6.30 to 8.30, an hour of um, of hors d'oeuvres and drinks, and an hour of presenting. And I would make sure that A couple of the students joined us on Skype back then, now on Zoom, and the the donors had a chance to hear directly from them. Their story, how our program and their generosity impacted their lives, and then we would have live. Uh, we always had real mentors in the audience who shared their story. They would get up and speak for a few minutes. It's very of the heart, very real. I think the whole notion of building a community is very important. So, in a way, I guess I did both things. I did the the piece of um, envisioning this giving model, which eventually, like I said, it had, even now we have about 150 donors a year. They give anywhere from 500 to, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And we raise about 300,000 a year, but we make it go a really long way in part because I cover, we cover the expenses and in part because Romania, you know, things, you know, money goes a long way in Romania and Moldova and also because of our mentors and so many people who are contributing as volunteers. I mean, some of our mentors are very accomplished people and they still want to give a few hours of their time every month to be with their students.
1: Yeah, how did you come up with the mentorship program? Because um, I guess it sounds cool, but it's a little hard to keep up. I've noticed other mentorship programs have a hard time matching the people or... Making sure they stay in touch, and I know my mentee had like a journal that, that he has to fill out every month to talk. Say like, I talked to my mentor, yes or no. Like, how did you, how did yeah. you come up with those accountability sort of things to make sure the program doesn't die off and it keeps going?
0: Yeah, well, it kind of evolved into that. In the beginning, it was just me writing short emails to every student saying, how are you doing? What's going on? Somebody spoke to me and said, you know, University of Arizona has a great mentorship program. And I was like, what's that? And I studied it a little bit, but we ended up developing our own version of a mentorship program. So the tool we decided to use to facilitate communication between two very different people, you know, um, somebody who grew up without parents and with a lot of trauma and some professor on the East coast, you know, a Romanian American professor, it's like, how do you facilitate that? So we have a a journal that we ask our students to write monthly and, um, There's four or five questions, basically what have been the successes this month, what have been the challenges, and then a few questions if they talk to their student, if they receive their monthly stipend, and something about the volunteer work that they are required to do. But this journal, we actually gather all the journals at the end of their college career, and we put it in a book and we give it to them. So in a way, they have an account of their journey during during their college years and it's just amazing how much they evolve during that time but um the journal is a first step for them to delve into the inner landscapes so of to think to think about what did I feel this month how did that conversation make me feel why didn't I know how to manage my time why am I procrastinating just only the, whatever they are dealing with it also gives the mentor an opportunity to, to either cheerlead them along the way if they've had some uh, accomplishments and we always tell them they don't have to be, you know, winning the Nobel Prize, <laughs> you know, it can be just baby steps that are in a positive direction, but also with the areas where they have challenges, especially if they repeat the mentor as a professional with a lot of experience, professional experience and life experience, they can say, look, I used to have the same issue or, I've gone through that, or this is how I deal with it, you know, um, help them develop a way of keeping track of their time or prioritizing uh, certain things in their lives. Or we have all sorts of situations, like sometimes relatives come out of the woodwork when they hear that the students are doing, are starting to do well, and they have expectations of how they should be helped, even though the students haven't even yet... Graduated, and you know, even telling them, like, first you have to take care of yourself, just like you put a mask on first on a flight if something happens as a parent, and then the child, you have to prioritize yourself. So, just having a mentor and having also a director of the mentorship program who's a very accomplished psychotherapist together, we set the tone of how to deal with the situations that come up during their. College experience. The whole idea is for them to to become successful, not only professionally, but I think emotionally, to develop that emotional intelligence. And we think that it happens also because of the support of the team and the mentors.
2: Can Can you elaborate on how someone can keep, or how how someone can keep such a positive mindset? Um, you know, you mentioned. That they're not they don't feel like victims or, or kind of this emphasis on not victimhood and maybe their mother jumped out of a window uh when they were born you know if if i was told these things about my mother i think i i would have a very hard time seeing the world in a positive light um especially you know if i didn't get a lot of opportunities and if People in other places seem like they're just given things, and and maybe I would feel very sad or frustrated about that. How is is it that you choose kids who have a positive outlook, and you say, okay, if you have a positive uh, outlook, you're gonna you're gonna be part of our, our part of our group, and 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 you're part of this culture, or do you do you get some kids who do talk about being a victim, and you change their mindset? How how does that? mindset kind of evolve as a culture inside the organization.
0: Well, I think most people and most youth that we interview are somewhere on a continuum in terms of victimhood and where they see themselves. But what I've learned from a lot of experience is that we would first of all, we've always had limited funded funding, so we couldn't award the scholarship to every single student who applied. But we tried to find individuals who would meet us halfway because we've had some experiences early on where I'm not sure they wanted it as much as we wanted it for them. And I realized that they're not ready. So we're trying to find youth who are willing to to, take some responsibility. They're at the place in their development where they feel maybe um, I need to do my part and see if, if I get some results. We really look for for young men and women who are willing to meet us halfway. Like we say we are willing to to raise money. We are willing to go through the effort of everything it takes to develop this program, to bring this funding to you, to fight for you, to help you fight for yourself. But we need you to meet us halfway. So that's very important. And then once they they meet us halfway, yeah, of course we, you know, and we all have days when we feel like that too. But I think we really believe in the notion that to use everything for our growth and upliftment. I mean, that's my view in life. I think the moment I get away from that, um, I get stuck and then it's a question, well, how long do I wanna stay in that place for? Because ultimately I won't move forward. Unless I shift back into using everything to my growth and upliftment, no matter how disempowering or tragic it seems, and I think the team shares that as a world view, and it's kind of uh, it trickles down to our students too. and they also see each other like during get togethers and camp. They see those who model this these um, qualities. And there's nothing more powerful than to have somebody like you, somebody who has been abandoned, has been through trauma. He chooses not to be a victim and he chooses to say, oh, I think I'm stronger because I've had this very dramatic life trajectory. I'm not a victim and my past is not my future. And they're like, what? It's really nice to, to have those role models within their community of students.
1: I'm curious yeah, on that nature, like what are the traits that you value most? <clears throat> I guess I'm curious in yourself, but also in the most successful students that you've seen. Yeah. What are, what are some of those skills or, or traits that, that, that maybe, um, yeah, you, you look for and you, yeah, you, you've seen are more successful than others.
0: Well, sometimes I think that we are here to, teach what we came here to learn. And so what I learned is just humility, that if nothing was beneath me, nothing is above me either, that I can reach for the star. Hard work, really wanting it. Ambition. And then this alignment of our soul line, so to speak, with our physical material world. When we look at What kind of qualities? I think they're very similar. I'm thinking, because I know she's on the East Coast, we have one student who became a neurologist, and I think she works in Philadelphia. She's one of the few who actually came to America. She's doing her um, residency here. And nobody worked harder than this student. I mean Everybody works pretty hard in our program, but it's beyond anything I have witnessed in my life. The degree of wanting to surpass her condition to use you know her incredible intellect to transform a dream and her abilities into something very tangible. So I think it's drive. I think it's ambition. And I think it's humility. And I I also think it's not expecting others to do it for you. Like you want to meet people who inspire you, role models, mentors somebody who teaches you how to fish, but doesn't hand you the fish. These are the qualities that, and maybe in the beginning, I didn't even have a word for them. But as I look back at 20 years almost of work with these young men and women, these are the qualities that made them successful ultimately. And they are are the qualities I'm trying to instill in. I've tried to instill in my own sons. We have two sons. That's what I've seen in terms of giving results. And, We've had over 450 graduates in our program. And like I said, they, they were in many different fields. And some stories that are just another anecdote, this young man who was tied to the crib the first few years of his life. I mean, those horrible stories that maybe you're too young to remember, but I was in my 20s when the, the communist regime fell. And there are all these horrific images on CNN and various um, news channels with children in Romania tied to the crib in just horrific conditions you know to think that that was his beginning and that he's now an internist in Romania kind of defeats the odds it's just mind-boggling some of the stories but again he wanted it so much he wanted to make it happen so much. And also this particular young man I'm thinking of had an extraordinary mentor who was so close to him, who would buy the medical books he needed. He had no money for that and help him study for his residency and on and on. I think the mentors too are just by who they are as people, their moral compass, how vertical they are, their own ambition and determination and ability to model hard work through osmosis. I think our students get it that, it's kind of what it takes to to accomplish your goals and to be successful.
1: That's awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, for the work you do. And uh, as we wrap up here, one last question is: What advice would you have for someone that's looking to start up? Maybe they're like you when you were first uh, writing down what a foundation is, and they're looking to start a foundation. And I know many folks kind of like oh, you know, like I'll do it someday. You know, I'm busy now. I don't have enough money now, right? Let me save more. So I can take care of myself and, like you said, put your mask on first. So then, I guess, what advice do you have for that person that's kind of, you know, looking to start, wants to help, but just doesn't know when and how?
0: Yeah, I'm not a person who puts pressure on everybody that you have to give and right away, I would say, give from the overflow. Because I do believe it's very important that we first take care of ourselves emotionally, um, financially, meaning that, that we have the minimum necessary. Give from the overflow. The second thing would be make sure it's aligned with something that speaks to your heart. There isn't a cause that's higher than the other. I've had a childhood where even though I was Very much loved. I was ping-ponged between grandparents' houses a lot. And I think that being not having that continuity and consistency and unconditional love and stability really rattled me. And uh, I worked a lot on that. I feel I'm very sensitized to people who have gone through that. And also, I guess, having had children, you know, I was just very endeared to those causes but i think our hearts have to be aligned whether it's animal welfare the environment etc you have to have a real calling and to feel that it's it's giving back to you also to your well-being it's filling your cup because what i've done has filled my cup and i think that's how it should be. It shouldn't be out of obligation or guilt or um, a mental exercise. It should really come f- from the heart when it's the right time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're the, well. You're an inspiration, and in, I uh, love your uh, your words. The uh, give from the overflow. Give from the, I the overflow. Itself. I
2: wrote that down. I'm gonna. Put that as my, I love that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Stefania, so much for coming on our pod today. Where, where, where can people find more information and maybe give some money or get involved?
0: www.blueheronfoundation.org. And we've done a lot of work for the Ukrainian refugees during the crisis, including a very complex cancer care program. Yeah, that was a whole other, it was a very intense year for the, last year because we were strategically positioned in those two countries that were dealing with many, many tens of thousands of refugees. So what I'm trying to say, we also pivot as, as needed. And I am hoping to, to do more locally. I feel there's a lot of loneliness in Los Angeles and I am, I am thinking of of ways of pulling the community together and I I pride myself in be, being very creative with developing programs so I'm thinking but for now the main focus of our efforts remains the college scholarships uh, for Romanian and Moldovan orphan and abandoned youth yeah people can find us at blueheronfoundation.org. And again, 100% of the donation will go directly to our youth. And it takes about $1,200 a year to support one youth through college. So I think that's a bargain. Tuition and monthly stipend included. I cover, as the founder, I cover the rest, salaries and so on. So very grateful for those who want to give.
2: Incredible return on investment, $1,200 a year. Get to go to college, wow. Thank you so much, Tiffanya. Hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks for coming on.
0: Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for rocking with the homies. Taylor Trusty and Flazzy. Sees the day, own it. Until next time. Hold it down, hold it down.